This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you're at in the U.S., and around the world. Thanks for joining us on Baseball Outside the Box. There's a show that loves to interview baseball's best coaching minds that love the challenge of status quo. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. Hey, listen, do me a favor. Uh, first of all, we are live on YouTube. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to YouTube, Peter Caliendo. Go there if you're not. You can see both myself and the guest. I know you want to see the guest because if you're live on Facebook, you're only seeing me. I see Steve Just already on the show, Dimitri on the show. Um, guys, if you want to see both of us, go YouTube, Peter Caliendo. It's all live there. You can also subscribe. Do us a favor. Share the show with everybody in the U.S. and around the world at all levels of the game. And don't forget, we got a couple of special announcements. One, the Mohegan Sun World Baseball Coaches Convention coming in January. Check it out. Don't forget, a lot of great coaches, major league managers, coaches, Mohegan Sun uh, World Baseball Coaches Convention. It's going to be four times virtual on January. Join some of the best speakers in the world are going to be on that convention. And Caliendo Sports International going to the Dominican Republic in December. We are searching for two more players. So check it out. Email me at caliendo19 at gmail. Um, and then we have a great show for you today. We are heading back to the Major League Baseball official scoring. But this gentleman is special because he's not just an official scorer for, I believe, 34 years, um, but also a high school baseball coach and a very successful one, over 700 wins. And and, and, uh, career-wise, I'm looking at it's incredible. I can't even go over his whole resume because he's done so much, but he's been a teacher for 34 years, coaching 33 years, football coach. He's like the Gordy Gillespie of high school baseball. (laughs) Everybody knows God bless Gordy, got to know him well. Um, unbelievable Wisconsin High School Hall of Fame. Our guest is in that. He's in all kinds of Hall of Fames, Man of the Year. So let's not even waste any time. Hey, by the way, works with Bob Euchre. We're going to ask him about that. Um, and special thank you to Tom O'Connell, my good friend, ISG president. As you know, I'm the vice president of ISG. Tom introduced us, and let's not waste any time. Let me welcome Tim O'Driscoll. Tim, how you doing, buddy? Great, Peter. Great, great, great to be on your wonderful show. Thank you. And I tried to, you know, I kind of got in as much as I could there, but folks, we're going to have Tim's all his background on the show notes. You're going to see it. It's incredible. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it because of your unique background, not just an official scoring, but, you know, coaching baseball for all those years and being so successful at it at the high school level, which I'm, you remind me of Gordy. You even got the white hair, you know, like Gordy Gillespie, you know, so you remind me of that top coach. Um, Let's let's do this. Let's start off with um, kind of let's get into official scoring first, because I think it'd be fun. Just the basic standards of the official scoring, because you mentioned, you know, there's a lot, some basic fundamentals for our parents, players and coaches to understand. Because, you know, we see it on TV and then we go, oh, why did he call it this way? Why did he call it that way? You know, and there's always I'm sure you're like the umpires. you got to start perfect and end perfect, right? Yeah. And, and of course the, the greatest thing is to end a, end a game with, without anybody even thinking about who the official score was. In other words, we don't, 
we don't need any controversial calls. Just some real, real basic things on a on a ground ground ball to a to an in infielder. You have you have to look at at the fact of how how hard it was hit. And you know now with all of this the data that, that we have, uh, I'll have a PR guy come down to me and I'll say, Tim, that ball left the bat at 108 miles an hour, and I'll say, okay. I said, and then it bounced twice before it got to the shortstop. He goes, yeah, that means it was probably 106 when I got there. I said, it bounced twice in the grass and only slowed down two miles an hour. Give me a break. So we, <laughs> we have to look at the, at, at, at the fact of some real simple, simple things. If the ball is hit extremely hard, did the fielder have the opportunity to make a play on it? Now, we, we look at where did it hit? If, if it hits right at his feet at 106 miles an hour and he doesn't have a chance, really, we're in most cases going to call that a, ba- a base hit. Now, if, if it's a ball that he has a chance to play, we also look at how did it, did it take a bad hop? Did it, did it come, come up? And many of us use a, a theory that if the ball stays from the waist down, that kind of ball, we think a infielder should, a major league infielder should be able to, to play with, as we call it, normal effort. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if, uh, if a ball takes a bad hop and comes up above the belly button, let's say, or the, or the waist area, it is very hard to, to get your, your, your glove up because you, you have the glove down like, like you're trained to, to do, and now, now the ball come, come, comes up. Now, if, if, if it's not hit really hard in some cases – even if it does come up, we expect them to make that play. But in many, many cases, uh, a ball hit extremely hard that takes that backspin and comes up, we're going to probably call that um, a base hit. We also look, Peter, and I, and I think people that watch the game uh, don't really think, think of this, it, like let, let's say that a shortstop or a second baseman ha- have to make more than three steps to get to it. Okay. What, once he makes the third step uh, in many, many cases that better runner, because we have to also do, do this. We have to watch two, two things. Where, where is that base runner when the ball gets to that fielder? If, if that base runner is already in the box, you know, that 45 foot line that's, that's marked, marked off. Uh, if that infielder is deep in, uh, in, in t- on, on the edge of the dirt and he finally makes that, makes that play in most instances, if that runner is up the line in that 45 foot box, even uh, a good throw and stuff is is not going to going to get them. Uh, we also look at how how far did the infielder have, have his glove stretched all the way out. If mm. if if you lock your elbow, notice you you don't have much grasp grasping ability. You know, and now if, if your arm is is still cocked somewhat you can you can grasp with your with your hand so if 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 the guy's arm is fully extended fully extended it is tough to ask him to make that make that play uh, 
We also look at the position of the fielder. We now have second basemen who are playing short right field like it's softball, right? Like dead man softball. And he isn't fielding on the dirt anymore. He's now fielding on the grass. Now, compared to high school fields that we were on, that, that grass is pretty nice in the right. major leagues. But still, that why, why is the guy playing second base? Well, because in a lot of cases, he, he doesn't have a shortstop's arm. But now we're asking that second baseman to make a long throw from that grass area. So th- those are those are factors that we have to look look into. Um, there are there are balls also hit. Let's say way way in way in the hole for the for the shortstop. Uh, and we we have shortstops who are so good it's unbelievable balls they can get to. But at the same at the same same time, if a guy makes a phenomenal play in the in the hole, now he has to make that unbelievably long long throw, or the shortstop goes be behind the bag at, at second, and he, he's he's going to do the the three sixty pirouette move, you know, like like he's a dancer, and you you expect him to come out of that turn and make a make a perfect throw. Uh, no, no way. And even though they, they got to it, it's beyond normal, normal effort. Uh, there are also, let's say, let, let's look at the outfield real, real. Yeah. I was going to ask about the outfield. All right. Once that outfielder, uh, turns his back to run toward, towards the fence, it is unfair to ask them to get an air on a ball that they are they are uh, now facing the, their back is is towards the infield. They're trying to catch it over their shoulder. That's a really tough play. Or or the the uh, the outfielder going into an outfield fence. A lot of people will sit there and go, well, maybe that uh, they've been watching the game. They've had a couple of beverages, and they suddenly, well, I I know what that is. What the hell kind of call was that? Well, remember, the, the guy has just run maybe 160 feet, maybe maybe more, and he is now running full full speed toward an outfield fence. Well, you have to give him some benefit of the doubt there, for heaven's sakes. And, uh, you know, we'll have, we'll have people say, well, it never touched his, his glove. That has no impact, Peter, at all. Ground ball goes right to the shortstop's legs. He never touched it. Well, sorry, pal. That's an E6. There's a, there's a fly ball to the to the out, outfield that the center fielder should catch. He's camped under it. He's mm-hmm. there, and he just drops it. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but that is going to be a E8 or, or E9. Even, even if he doesn't touch it, correct? Oh, sure. Right. Sure. There, there is a rule now that we have to follow that I, I don't like though, because I was a, I was a pitcher through college. I, I, I pitched at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and I was fortunate enough to be captain my, my senior year. It's a long time ago though, Peter it was nineteen. <laughs> That's a long, long time ago. And there's, a, there's a pop up in the infield. Second baseman's calling it. First baseman's calling it. They look at each other, and the ball drops. Yeah. Major League Baseball wants us to call that a base hit. Mm. Uh, 
that bothers me. Now, if if the second baseman is going to catch it and the first baseman ram, rams into me, drops it, then it's pretty simple. You give the air to the first baseman for causing the second baseman to drop it. But if the ball drops between them and they can't decide who should have taken it, uh, they do want us to call that a base hit. That oh. I don't like it, but that's that's the way that's the way it is. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, because obviously, you know, should have been caught. And sure. Um, well, how is that? You know, interesting enough, you mentioned the outfield. You know, I'm just going to throw one at you. I don't yeah. even know if it's ever happened before. But let's say he's running. He's really, let's play, he's playing fairly deep. He goes yep. to catch the ball close to the fence. You know, it, it hits his glove. He hits the fence and then it goes over the fence. Yep. And now it's a home run. That's, that's correct. Uh, there's no air there because of he should. Well, it, all, it, it all depends. I mean, was it was it a ball that he should have caught with normal effort? And again, you know, everybody wants baseball scoring rules to be black and white. They're as gray as gray gray can can be. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if you remember there was uh, who was the guy in Boston had to, had the ball hit him in the head and went over. Uh, yeah, yeah, and hit hit him in the head and went over. And it went over. Uh, but it, if it, if it's a ball that he is running hard for, he gets he gets towards the fence. The ball hits his glove, and then he hits hits the wall, and it goes over. Uh, that's going to be a called a home home run in most in most most cases. If if it's a ball that's short of the fence, and it, it hits the middle of it, of his glove and bounces out for some reason and goes over, uh, then it, it certainly could be called an e, E9. And, and again, it, it isn't black and white, and everybody wants it to be black and white, Peter, but, you know, every, every play is a little bit uh, d- different. And, you know, we, we try to work with the younger scores and help them as, as much as we can, but there isn't anything like uh, just – having the experience of calling games and calling plays. That's, that's, what's really, I, I think, important. Absolutely. You know, uh, Tim, there's a play um, in one of the games, a uh, playoff games and uh, fairly simple, but I'm going to try to make it a little complicated just to see sure. how it scored. Um, it was ground ball, second baseman. The first baseman didn't get there in time. Yep. The second baseman, could have taken an extra shuffle and waited possibly, possibly, not, not for sure, and waited for the first baseman to be set. But he didn't. He threw the ball right away. The first baseman wasn't quite there, and the ball was bobbled or dropped. Um, you know, I would have given the, I would have given the first baseman the air for not being there at the base on time. I don't know how that would be called. I, I think that was the play involving the Padres, and I think right. it was the Padre first baseman, if I remember. Right. And a very good first baseman. Yeah, and uh, and uh, it, it it was a tough play for the second baseman to make, but he he did get the throw there, and I I thought it was kind of poor footwork by the first baseman of the Padres. Correct. So in that case, to me, it's a 50-50 call. In other words, I, I think you could give it to the second baseman for making a, a the the throw was to the 
as the first baseman is looking at it, the throw was to his right side and it went off the tip of his glove, if I remember. And I think that either, either call you could, you could defend. I think you could defend the, the E four and you could also defend an E E three because it was, it was Hosmer, if I remember. Yes. And, and his, his footwork wasn't really great, but remember he was behind the bag and he normally, you don't go behind the, the bag With the runner coming and the runner is right, right there. And they always worry about their, your, your Achilles tendon, you know, those things sure. get captured once in a while. So I, I couldn't have argued either way. I, I thought E4 was fine. And I, I think if you'd have called it an E3 it would be fine. So in that case, folks on Facebook, if you got a question for Tim, just type it in the comments section, scoring question, bring it on because this is the Major League Baseball Brewers official score. And by the way, so everybody knows you are employed by Major League Baseball, not by the Milwaukee Brewers, never have been, never a dime from the Brewers because they want us to be un unbiased and to make the, the calls. And if the Brewers were paying, paying me, uh, there'd be some people that might feel a little biased into, into making calls for the home team. And, and, and we, we don't want that. And unlike umpires, in order for you to go to the playoffs or World Series, your team has to be there. That is, that is correct. And, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, a lot of us, I, I would, I would love to get to the, to the World Series. And I'm from a very small market and, and uh, the Brewers cannot make any, any mistakes to, to, to get there, you know, everything has to be perfect. And two years ago, we got within one game. And I say we, because yes, I, even though I'm, I'm paid by major league baseball, I am a brewer fan. I was a Milwaukee Braves fan, Peter, before that. And uh, the Milwaukee Braves were stolen and taken to Atlanta uh, by Bill Bartholomew. And I didn't like him very much for doing it. I was a high school kid then, and I was fortunate to go to the, to go to a World Series game in 57 and 58. They beat the Yankees in 57. They had a three to one game lead against the Yankees in 58 and they, they lost. Uh, but uh, the fact is that um, we, we are paid by Major League Baseball. And uh, when I first started scoring, to tell you how it's, how it's changed. Hmm, yeah as an unwritten rule, I, I was supposed to go into the clubhouse once a homestand and I was supposed to stand on the end in the end of the clubhouse. So any player could come up and talk about plays to tell me what wonderful job, wow. I, what wonderful job I've been doing. Uh -huh. Or to, to discuss a play that I didn't like the, the way it went. I loved it because, wow. I got to know the players. They got to know me. They knew that I, I was a high school baseball coach. They knew that I uh, played uh, baseball uh, as an actual player. And that made a huge, huge uh, difference. Now, of course, things have changed so much um, that we are we are not supposed to go down into the clubhouses unless we're with one of the one of the uh, the public relation guys. And I used to always go down, stand behind, uh, the batting cage. I mean, I, I just soaked it all up. And I remember when, uh, the Brewers hosted the, the, 
the tied all-star game that I scored. I was in hog, hog heaven, pal, for a couple of days because all these great Major League Baseball players came in and, and I got to walk, walk around and talk to as many as I, as I uh, wanted. And it was such a thrill for, for me. And things have, have changed. When I first started scoring, most of the games weren't on, t- weren't on uh, local t- TV. You, you might got a weekend game once in a while. So we had no instant replay to look at. We, we had nothing to, to look at. I mean, it has changed so much now, Peter. It's, it's just amazing the different views we can, we can get. I, I, I have a video screen besides the regular television at, at the ballpark. I, I have a, a headset that I can turn on. I can call people back in the, in the area that, that runs the, the uh, scoreboard. And I'll, I'll, I'll say, what, what angles do you have on that last play? And they, they put them up for me so I can try to get a better, a better, better look. No one wants to play God there. Seriously. I, I have no ego in scoring. I want to get the call right. And I, I, I want to know that something that was called in 1987 during Paul Molitor's hitting streak would, would be the same call that I, I, I would make now. And that a base hit in, in, um, in 2003 is scored a base hit in 2020. We just want to get the call right. We are, we are not there to be, to play God. And I will listen to any, anybody, someone calls and, you know, uh, the last, I think it's five years now, maybe a little longer, uh, up until that point, we had 24 hours to make a call. After that, that was it. Now we have an appeal process where a player, a manager, a coach, a general manager could appeal the play to major league baseball. And, uh, the, the play is, is sent, sent in, and uh, Chris Young, who's a former Major League player, now, now is in charge at, of, of looking at, at them. Joe, Joe Torre was, Gergiola mm-hmm. uh, Jr. was. There used to be a small co- uh, committee of people. Now it's uh, Chris, Chris Young, who's done a great job. And uh, he, he then looks, looks at it, and if he thinks – a different call should, should be made. Then, then he flips the, uh, the call. And you're, you're notified on that, that the, the call has changed. How many yeah, of those well, think throughout your career? Um, well, before you didn't have instant replay so that there's nobody really to overturn it in the old days. No. Did, did they overturn it? No, no. And, and uh, up until I'm, I, I'm not, I wish I could remember the exact year that, that they started doing that. Let, let's say it's six or seven years. I, I can't remember. Uh, up until that point, there's nothing anybody could could do. It, it was in the hands of that official score. And, uh, you know, we tried to do the best job we, we possibly could. But, you know, there, there has to be somebody who finally makes that call. And, mm-hmm. You know, the pitcher isn't going to be happy if you call it a hit. The fielder, oh, here's the thing. Uh, in, in calling hits, you make more people happy. The batter's happy. The infielder's happy. And unless the 
the run scores, the pitcher doesn't care as much. The run scores, he, he certainly does. But, you know, you aren't there to make people happy. You're there to do a job that you're hired to do. And and I, I think the people that score have a unique talent. And, and again, people can sit at home and say, well, I know what that is. But un- unless you, you really take that seat, and, uh, you know, I, I started during the Paul Molitor hitting streak in 1987. That's wow. when I started scoring. Uh, Pancho Palacio had been the, been the scorer. He, he was a big-time uh, basketball referee. He did big Louisville games and Marquette games, and he, he was a, a fantastic uh, basketball referee. And he just one day decided that he ha- had enough. Well, this is right in the middle of a hitting streak, for God's sakes. Paul, Paul Molitor, and I've, I've scored like three or four games, and if you don't think every night uh, I, I wasn't uh, turning a piece of coal into a diamond, holy mama, because the, there isn't anything like a hitting streak. Un, unlike a 3,000 hit, which I've, I, I scored uh, uh, Younts 3,000, 3, I, I did Nolan Ryan's 300th win, I did Trevor Hoffman's 600 save, uh, I did the Tide All-Star game. I did um, this uh, hitting streak of, of, of Pauly, Pauly Molitors. I mean, once a, if, if a hitting streak ends, it, it ends, man. He, he had 39 straight games. And uh, in, in the final game, it was a Thursday night. It was raining. The attendance was 11,000. Even though everybody had talked, oh, I, I, was, I was at that game. I was at that game. <laughs> Uh, there was 180,000 people there. Yeah, I, I was. I was one of the 11,000. Uh, Molitor is is facing John Farrell. John mm-hmm. Farrell became uh, the the manager of the Boston Red Sox. Super guy, and um, he was only his second game he had ever pitched in the big big leagues. Second game only. He had been brought up because a pitcher had sprained his his ankle. He pitched for the Cleveland Indians. I was in the clubhouse before the game and Molitor was talking to Gantner and Yount and he said, I don't like facing a rookie pitcher because I, I don't know what he throws. I, I don't know what his breaking balls like. And he was really nervous. He'd, he'd rather face a guy he had seen. Well, in the, in the first inning, he struck out. He then uh, grounded into a double play. Drives my wife crazy. I can remember all this stuff, but I can't remember to, to bring milk. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, in the uh, in the eighth inning, with a runner on second, the score is zero zero. Teddy Teddy Aguera is pitching for the for the Brewers. There's a, uh, a sharp ball hit hit in the infield, and Pat Tabler playing first base for the Indians drops the throw. Well, it, it's an e e three. But a lot of people who don't know scoring and stuff see Molitor at first base. Well, his hitting streak must have continued. No, he got on on a, on an air. Then in the tenth inning, the the score is still zero zero. Brewers get a runner on second, and uh, there's one one out. Rick Manning is now going to pinch hit, and uh, people in Milwaukee didn't like Rick Manning. Why? Because he was traded for Gorman Thomas. Mm. Gorman Thomas was a great hero in Milwaukee for three things. He drank beer, he drank beer, and he drank beer. Oh, I should add, he also did a lot, a lot, a lot of home runs. But he fit into Milwaukee. I mean, that's 
but Milwaukee is man. And he fit in really, really well. And he was, he was, he was a really good player and uh, he had a lot, a lot of home runs. So people, uh, when that trade was made, they never let Manning forget it. Well, Manning comes up and uh, takes the first two pitches right down the hose, two, two strikes and gets who's in the on deck circle, Paul Mother. He, all, all Manning has to do is make an out, and Molitor has a chance for a, to get one more hit, right? Manning hits the next ball up the middle for a base hit. Tiny Felder, not Prince Fielder now, Tiny oh. Felder was a pinch runner, scores. Oh. First time ever in a Brewer win, there was booing. People were booing because they wanted Felder to stop at third and let Molitor have a chance and that was the end of the Paul Molitor hitting streak wow Molitor gave me a, a baseball sign after and uh when um when Farrell came to Milwaukee with with the Red Sox uh I I asked him if he would sign the baseball for me and he was the nicest guy we, we talked about that game for over a half an hour and he told me how nervous he was and facing Molitor and what a tremendous experience and that Molitor was really nice to him and pa- Paulie Molitor uh was a great great kid really nice almost as nice as Robin Yount Robin Yount is the greatest nicest person that I've, I've ever seen play. And he's just un, unbelievable, humble and nice as nice, nice can be. And uh, he's very much like uh, Yelich. Yelich is the same kind of, kind of uh, kid. So that's, that's my story of the Paul Molitor. It, it. It, it was uh, uh, oh the pressure every night. I was just sitting there. Oh, good Lord. Because uh, they, they had a, we had a press conference. Well, as a high school teacher, I, I don't have a lot of press conferences. Sure. The, the media after a, after a baseball game, would, would a high school game would ask me some questions, but not a press conference. So during, during the day, Molitor, it's, they, they said to Molitor, you don't have to worry about a close play at, in Milwaukee because your score will take care of you. He goes, you don't know our score. He's honest. He's not going to give me one. And it made me feel really good. Yeah. So that, that day I, after teaching and coaching, I, I get to the ballpark and um, they, they want, wanted me to, to, to comment on it. And all, all I said was, that's, that's a compliment from Paul. And Tim, that's got to be one of the hardest things um, for our young people that are coming up and scoring, trying to stay neutral when you do live in, in the area, you do follow the team, it is your team. Um, what's some advice? Because what, what you talked about, that's a lot of pressure, especially, you know, you're just coming on board on monitors hitting. Yeah. Straight. yeah. Um, but in general, it's a lot of pressure. It's like the umpires and like the managers, you know, people don't understand you have split seconds to make decisions. Yes. You can go back and change it. You have 24 hours or you have more time. There's an appeal process and all that, but there's still a lot of pressure. How do you deal? How do you guess mentally? What do you tell young people how to deal in those situations? Well, you know, I think one of the things is know the scoring rules. Know what what basic is a base hit and what what is an error. What what do you expect? You know the the toughest call in baseball, in my opinion, is when the third baseman is playing even with the bag, and it's called the hot corner for a reason. Guys hit rockets down there and those are really tough tough plays to make and by by the way let, let me just go over one thing i forgot to mention earlier if 
if there, there's a ball hit slowly in the infield and the second baseman, the shortstop, and quite often that third baseman has to go and barehand it, okay, that's almost always going to be a base hit because that's a do-or-die play. And mm-hmm. that fielder feels as though the only way he can make that play is to grab it barehanded. In, in those cases, you you're not normally are, are going to call those base, base hits. But going, going back to the young score, uh, just get watch as many games as you possibly can. Look at the, at, at the factors in, in, involved in that, in, in that actual, actual play. Is this a play that a major league infielder or outfielder should make with normal effort? Same thing is true with a, with a catcher. One of the real tough calls can be pass balls and wild pitches. Hey, guy, the game has changed so much, Peter, in the fact that, that when these relievers come in, it's 99 to 100 miles an hour. And if the guy's slow, he's throwing 96. Are you kidding me? Yeah, when, I, when I first started scoring, you, you, didn't, you didn't see guys consistently throw like that. But they also are the sixth inning reliever. We got the seventh inning reliever, the eighth inning reliever. No, I, I only do the eighth. That's all I like to do. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and so – there is a uh, there's a confusion. The catcher thought he put down a fastball, but the pitcher thought it was a curve, or vice vice versa. Let's say he's thinking a curve's coming, so he's looking for that curveball. He's leaning to the outside, and the guy throws a 102 mile an hour fastball right over his shoulder. <laughs> and uh, we are supposed to call that a pass ball because if there's a screw up. We, we can't get into the mind of the pitcher or catcher to figure out who, who, who really messed up. So we, we look at what, what should be caught by that, by that catcher. Now, one, one of the things also is you, you may watch on, on television and notice that there's a ball that hits, hits the curve. And in, in your mind, you think that that catcher should block that. Anytime a ball goes goes in into the dirt, it will always be a wild pitch. It isn't fair, even though yes, he should have blocked it. Maybe. Well, the reason why you put him in jeopardy was a pitch in the in the dirt. By the way, there was a play in the and it was at the first game of the World Series. Yes, the the runner on first breaks and uh, the ball is a wild pitch. Okay. The, run, the, the runner who, who broke right, right away still gets the stolen base because you, you can't take that away from the runner just because the ball became a wild pitch. Now, if he doesn't break until he sees the ball in the dirt, then it is going to be a wild pitch. But if, if he was going to steal and he's already gone and the ball go, goes in the dirt, uh, it is a stolen base, not a wild pitch. I know I'm jumping all over on you. Oh, no, that's great because that brings up a unique situation. And, 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 and it brings this up, you know, again, you've been a high school coach for a long time. So now you got the coaching aspect, even though you know that catcher and pitcher, there was a miscommunication, you know, yep. it as a baseball coach, you still yep. can't use that to make, the official call. You have to look at what actually happened. Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, one, one of the things that, uh, that we were taught years and years ago, uh, call what you see, call what you see. 
Don't go into all kinds of stuff in your head. Well, he should have done this. He should have done that. What did you see? What actually happened? Now, uh, normally, if an infielder, let's say, falls down on a, on a play, it normally has scored a hit. But I've, I've had fielders that I've worked, worked with year after year who on any kind of a difficult ground ball would fall down. I won't give you names, but they, they would automatically fall down. Well, I used to start calling them errors. And I actually talked to that infielder and I said, any ball that's hit to your glove side, you, you tend to fall down on it. And I said, that's a play with normal effort you should be making. Well, so. Let- Let's take this then, because it happened in Major League Baseball. Uh, the guy's shoelaces were too long. He caught a ball. He tripped in the shoelaces. Ball came out. It was a routine play. No different at third base. If I get a routine play, I catch it. I go to throw, and then I trip. Those are errors? Those are not errors. Wow. If, if you slip, uh, we, we call that a base hit. If, if, if you're running in, in the outfield and uh, – Let's say that all of a sudden some of the turf give, gives way. You've, you've seen that where the guy light comes flying behind him and the, and the grass flies up. Well, those are things beyond somebody's control. Now, the knucklehead with the long shoelaces. <laughs> he deserves an error. <laughs> yeah. he, he should be looking at that. But uh, slipping and falling or wet conditions where, where someone falls down in most cases. And again, again, nothing is black and white, Peter. Nothing is. And, and so uh, you'd, you'd have to look at the, at the, at the situation. But uh, if, if it's because of the field conditions, in most cases, it's going to be called a hit. Uh, here's your baseball coach's hat, because um, I just thought about this uh, off the top of my head, thinking about first basements. I watch Major League Baseball, and I'm not the greatest coach in the world, but I look at first basements, and I know I've got many replays. They don't use first base properly all the time. There's a throw to the left, and I see the guy yep. in the middle of the base. Yep. Now, if the, now, you're the baseball coach. It puts in the middle of the base. He easily could have moved over and caught that, but yet he doesn't. What's the call? The the call is we 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 can't think through the first baseman's head and say you know well first of all if a guy is a good first baseman you 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 don't like if if you're a right-handed first baseman you don't put the right foot back until the ball is thrown and if the throw is to the inside you move your foot to the inside of the bag if the throw is to the outside you move your foot to the outside of the bag and there are some people who are who don't know baseball very well and say some stupid things anybody can play first base anybody just give them a glove and put them out there now there are there are instances where i've i've had pr guys come down to me tim that's a catcher playing first base and i say no no it isn't let me show you the lineup. It says first base. Right. <laughs> first baseman today. Don't give me this. Well, he's a catcher playing left field. Well, if the manager put him in the game and he said he's his left fielder, then I am judging that as a left fielder. Now, we're also, I think, sometimes un- unfair to the great athlete who gets the balls that, that nobody else gets to. 
The guy is a phenomenal left fielder who can run down stuff. He, he runs at an unbelievable pace. Sometimes he gets the balls that, that, that nobody else gets to, or that shortstop gets way in a hole or the second baseman goes up the middle and makes an un, unbelievable play. So, and, and also Pete, there's, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over on you, but there, right. there, there are two parts to every play. Mm-hmm. But some people don't get it's hard to make this an air call, but we're we are third baseman makes a diving stop. Unbelievable play behind the bag. He's got plenty of time. He gets up. He's not rushed. I, I look to make sure his feet are squared up. He's ready to make the throw. He isn't rushed. He makes a bad throw. I got to call that an E5 because we have to look at two separate plays here. Yes, he made a phenomenal play getting to it, but if, if he had time to get up and he's not rushing because the runner is extremely fast and he sets his feet and has time to make that throw, uh, in most cases, I'm going to call that an E5. Some people go crazy, but it's a two-part play, and we're supposed to score it as a two-part play. Now, he made a great stop. But did he have time to get up, square up, square his shoulders, and make that good throw? Now, the one up the middle, again, I mentioned earlier, where the shortstop makes that phenomenal play and does that 360, that's a whole different situation because his shoulders aren't square. He's thrown on the the run, and it's called your do-or-die play. The do-or-die plays normally get scored hits. Uh, what's one of the toughest? I know you mentioned a couple, but is it really hard to score when you like bases loaded, base hitting the gap, and then there's an error? Um, what's like what? A, what's a real tough situation for a scorer? Well, again, I, that that ball hit to the third third baseman is uh, is a tough one. The in between hop to the shortstop, where it, was it hit that hard or wasn't it hit hit, hit that hard? Should he have made that uh, play? And and of course when the infield is playing up that that ball speeds up to that fielder really quickly and mm-hmm. you're you're asking them to make an unbelievable play in a very very short period of time let, let me give you a, let me give you a tough call and see what how you would make the call oh thank you because i know i'm gonna flunk i just have no, no you won't no you won't it's it, it happened to me the milwaukee brewers versus uh the washington nationals uh, the Nationals have a runner on second. Zimmerman comes up and hits a little blooper uh, behind second. VR is the Brewer second baseman, and VR called uh, called everything in the infield. I don't care where it was. I got, I got. That was VR. I, I, I got, I got. That. And he sees waving his. I got it. I got it. I got it. And Santana is the right fielder for the Brewers. He comes in. They look at each other, and the ball drops. Uh, VR picks it up and throws to third and gets the runner from second going to third. Does Zimmerman get a base hit or not? Wow. I would say it's a air and a fielder's choice. He threw the guy out of third. Okay. Uh, this is the, this is the, the call because the infielder picked it up and threw him out. Uh, first of all, you, you can't give an error to anybody because there is a out recorded on this play. So you can't give anybody an, an, an error. Plus, you, you can't give them a hit because the infielder threw out a runner trying to advance. 
it has to be a fielder's choice. However, here's how weird the rule is. If Santana had picked it up, he's the outfielder. I can give Zimmerman the hit, even though the runner was thrown out going to third. But because the infielder, the rule book says, if the infielder picks it up or the catcher or pitcher and throws the runner out trying to advance uh, from second to third, you, you can't give a hit. If an outfielder does, you have the discretion to give them a hit. The same thing as runner at second, Balls hit way in the hole. The shortstop go, goes over, makes a great play in the hole. He has no chance to get the guy at first, throws to third, and the guy slides in and he's called out. That hitter gets robbed early of a base hit because there was an out made on that, on that, on that play. Wow, and that depends on, especially on the one with second base, that depends on who picks the ball up, if you yes. get it or not. That is kind of And, strange. you know, it was interesting. Guys came off the radio and television and were just screaming at me, are you crazy? Wait, what? And they, they, were, they, were, they were nuts. And Bill, Bill Schroeder, who's a good, good friend of mine, came over and layered. He goes, where, where did you get that from? I said, it's in the rule book. And I, and I gave him the rule. He goes, how did you know that? I go, I don't know. I was just, I, I just, I just knew it. I, you know, I, uh, here, here's another one for you. Okay. Real, real quick. Uh, Gene Segura gets a base hit. Mm-hmm. He now steals second. Okay. So he's on second. Uh, Ryan Braun is up next. This is against the Cubs. Ryan, Ryan Braun gets walked. So we got runners on first and second. There's nobody out. It wasn't an intentional walk. The Brewers put on a double steal. Uh, the, the cup pitcher steps off the rubber, runs at Segura, throws it to uh, Van, 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 Van Buena, no, Val, Val Buena playing third. And he runs Segura back to second. Well, guess what? Ryan Braun is standing at second. Okay, right. Now you got uh, now you got Segura at second and Braun. Uh, qu- quick question: Who has the right to the base, Braun or Segura? Well, the guy that was there originally has the right to the base. Correct. Segura is is Segura. correct. So the the Cubs did the right thing. They tagged Braun out, uh, and uh, Braun is, is out. Segura thinks he's out. Oh. Starts jogging back to first. Everybody's so shocked. Nobody, and uh, I guess the infielders thought, well, maybe they had the wrong guy out. So I maybe, think I remember that. And the, the Brewers' first base coach goes, Segura, go to, uh, go to first, go to first. The umpires let him go back to, to first, which is against the, the, the rules. You can't let a, a runner who has got another base go back. And uh, those umpires, I won't say who they were because I know, but they got fined the next, next day. Now, Segura tries to steal second a second time. Now he's out, caught stealing. The guy who was running the computer turns to me, Tim, we have him stealing second, and now that I'm out stealing second, the computer won't take it. What should I do? I said, well, put down, he was trying to steal third because there's nothing else we can do. So he's not stealing, and, and I stole in base at second base. Yep, never, never should have let him go back to first. Wow, 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 because I was going to ask you some of the strangest play. That may be the top strangest play you've ever been involved in. That's the strangest play I've ever scored, I think. Unbelievable. You know, and and as we get going here, it gets a little bit more confusing because now we're talking, and more confusing maybe for the fan, now we're talking about shifts. 
And now you're okay. You know, third, third baseman's playing second base. You know, yep. possibly yep. first baseman's playing. You know, somewhere else. Um, how do you how do you deal with all that? It it is very difficult, especially when we were scoring from home because we couldn't see a lot of and, and to try to see. Wait a minute, is that guy in short right field? Is that the second baseman or like what the Brewers like to do a lot is move the shortstop or uh, th the third baseman over over there. Uh, the second baseman stays the second baseman no matter where he goes. Shortstop remains the shortstop no matter where they go. Third baseman. However, if the first baseman takes off the first baseman's glove, which the Cubs have, have done. Many times. Uh, yeah, with uh, Rizzo. Right. The guy that puts on the first baseman glove, let's say he's the left fielder. He comes in and puts on the first baseman's glove. He now becomes the first baseman. Okay? And uh, and Rizzo now becomes the left fielder. So, if, so if, wait, 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 one second. If Rizzo goes back the first with that same glove, catches the well, ball now, on the shorter. I know, okay. Rizzo would never go back to first with the shorter glove. He okay. back to first, he switches gloves. Right. And uh, so we, we, had a, we had a game at, at, at Miller Park where uh, Rizzo – wanted to uh, switch, but he wanted to keep the, the, the glove. And uh, Fielding Culbreth, he's got a brother running and a brother throwing, I guess. Uh, Fielding Culbreth, the umpire, uh, said no, they, they couldn't do it. And, and he, was, he was correct. Only the, only the person playing first base can have the longer glove. And, and so let, let, let's just say, like you see in the, in the, in the World Series, where they put four outfielders. You notice that lately in the series, uh, they, they're putting four outfielders out, out there. The outfielder that goes to the outfield is still the infielder. So if they put the second baseman out there, he's still the second baseman. So a deep fly to left field and he catches it, it is a fly four. Okay, you, you don't make him the the left, left, left fielder, you know, you make him, he's wow. still the second baseman. So when, when they bring an infielder in or put an infielder out, they stay in that position. And the only time it changes is if they change the first baseman's glove and somebody else uh, puts that on. So the scoring really, I mean, it's changed a little bit, but it really hasn't. Not a, no. And the, the, the only thing is you get some really weird, uh, duh, Double plays, uh, three five three. I mean, how you don't see that very often with right. the with the third baseman at second base. I mean, you don't you don't see that or or six five three, and it's a double play in the infield. You don't you don't see that very often. So the shifting, which I know will will continue, because that's the way we are now, and we we have charts. Here's the thing: as a high school coach, and I understand. Players get, get paid to make the, the big home run hit and the big RBI, but doggone it, late in the game, when you see there's only one guy on the left side of the infield and you're a left-handed batter, you got to just poke that ball, don't you, to, towards the shortstop where there's nobody there? I mean, it's just – and I understand. I, I use – just to give an example, I use the same example. You know, we were, you and I were talking off the air, and I get it. Guys aren't bunning because they don't practice. And I'm all, and I and I understand coaches like yourself are gonna say, hey, you gotta practice something if you're gonna do it. I get that. Yep. 
my my only thing is okay. You're trying to hit a hundred mile an hour fastball, and then an, then an eighty mile an hour or whatever other pitch. Yeah, breaking ball. You're telling me as an athlete, you've done it many times, especially in college. And some of these guys just came out of college two years ago. Yeah. You're telling me it's not easier to put the bat there and try to bunt than trying to hit. I I, I would think at least give it a chance to bunt because you got some of them have no chance of hitting. And that's my point, especially today with launch angle. They're all trying to get under it. I got a better chance of laying the ball down, even though I didn't maybe practice it as much as I should. These are professional athletes. I'm not talking about high school kids. Well, the, 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 the reason why they're not bunting is not just that they don't practice it. They stop practicing it because cyber, cyber metrics tells them that to give up an out on a, on a bunt uh, they don't think that that's, that's important. They want that guy to swing away because stats show them that they have a better chance of scoring if that guy swings away. I still think late in the game, come on, get that run and win this sucker. Uh, and, uh, and I'm, please don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not an old timer that, oh, the cybermetric game, I'll did this guy. Baloney. I, I believe in facts. And if, if you can show me that, you shouldn't do it. But at the high school level, of course, we mentioned earlier, uh, it's so much different because these aren't major league players that are going to make every single bunt and pick it up and throw it the right, right place. Uh, I, I always like the bunt and turn on circus music. Da, 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 da. You don't know where guys are going to throw it. They'll throw it down a left field line. They'll throw it over the first baseman's head. The second baseman didn't, didn't cover. What happened? That, and, you know, and we keep on running, man. That, that, and we, we stole a lot of wins doing that. And I mentioned to you the suicide squeeze, but I, I don't, I hate the safety squeeze. God, that drives me nuts, but have some guts, do the suicide, baby, bring that runner down. Let's see if that guy can get that thing down. I, I just love that play. Tim, if two guys steal, um, both of them get a stolen base at the place. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, if let's say first and first and second, the guy from third is safe. The guy at second's out. The guy from third advances on a fielder's choice. The guy from second is caught stealing. But if both of them make it safely, they both get a stolen base. If uh, if the inf- if the third base was playing in, you know, let's say, well, let's say I do a fake bunt, third base, okay. then I hit it. Yep. That's going to depend how hard it's hit if the third baseman makes an error. Sure. And how, how hard it's hit. And, and you got you to gotta look at where where he's playing. Here's something that will drive you nuts. Guy steals <laughs> second and he slides into, into second base, but he doesn't hold the bag and he's taken mm-hmm. out. He does not. He does not get a stolen base. It's now caught stealing. A uh, guy hits a hits a double standing up, and he doesn't slide, but he comes off the base and is tagged out. He does get the double. If he slides in on on that play, he gets a single and a, and a put out is eight six because on a, on a slide you have to hold the base. Stay- up you get credit for it now somebody sat there one day and said here's the role for sliding or standing up and that's what we follow hey since we're having some fun here let me just throw this at um guys running is stealing second base and he goes to slide in head first yep the bait the guy catching the ball has his foot on the base and i'm touching his foot Yep. And that guy tags me. I'm out. 
Okay. Yeah, because touching his foot isn't touching the base. Right. Uh, the the actual rule says that the second baseman or shortstop cannot block the base unless they have the ball. How often have you seen that called in your life? You ever see a guy? No, no, he's safe because he's there. That, that, that's no. Be called, and some of these guys are really good at it, especially when guys go hand first. If spikes first are different, but hand, hands first, some of these guys are are very very good at blocking that uh, blocking that base. In fact, uh, uh, some of them and uh, Baez for the Cubs, for example, is one of the quickest taggers I've ever seen. He gets that throw, and he he just swaps that that. Uh, and he's very, very quick at it. And you can, uh, you can, you can steal stolen bases from guys with really, really being uh, very, very quick. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I mean, you see, guys are being taught obviously to put their foot there so that way the runner can't get in there. Um, and, uh, Peter, I have, I have another quick question for you. Bases are loaded. We have catchers interference. Oh boy. Okay. Now the the batter runner uh, goes to first. Everybody advances one. Runner from third scores. Does that batter get an RBI on that? It's it, it's an E two on the catcher. It doesn't count as a time up. And that run uh, that runner going to to first cannot be counted as as an out because you don't know what he would have done. This screws up a lot of scores. With, catcher's interference. You don't get a hit, do you? I can't remember no. now. Yeah, there's no hit. It doesn't count as as a time up. Do you get? Yeah, yes. You didn't get a hit. I'm assuming yes, but I would think if you can't get. And I, I think, I think logic logic tells you you shouldn't get an RBI, but it's listed as one of the RBIs because it's catcher's interference, and you do get the RBI. I don't think you should. What have you done? Nothing. The guy hit hit your bat, but. You, it's one of the weird RBI plays. Very weird. No, but it's you know, good to know for our, our coaches out there and players. Good to yeah, know. and you know, uh, it it goes as an E two. But when you're reconstructing the inning, the toughest thing uh, in scoring is earned runs. Quite often, it's very very tough, and you have to reconstruct the inning without the air, but not with a catcher's interference because you don't know what that batter runner would would have done. By the way, uh, the ball is not dead on catcher's interference. Some of these big guys hit, hit a ball uh, far enough. The guy from third tags and scores, and the offense can take the play if they want to. That's so, why the umpire doesn't call it right away. Yeah, that, that is exactly correct. Right. And, and so when when you if let's say that the first uh, there's a runner on first. And we got an error on a ground ball in the second baseman. We can assume the second baseman would be going to second to, to get an out. But you can't assume a double double play. So when you're reconstructing that inning, you, you now have a runner at first with one out, okay? Hmm. Because he would have gone to second. Right. In reconstructing the catcher's interference, you cannot count that as an out, even though he's at first and his run is never earned, but you can't count that as one of the three outs because you don't know what he would have done. A lot, lot a lot of scores get that wrong. So basically if, if, if it's an, if it's a, 
made double play. One one hopper, second baseman. They yep. don't do any of it. You can't give two errors. You're, you're, you're not allowed to uh, assume a double play ever. The only exception, here's the exception. We always got an exception, you know, just to make you get excited. <laughs> we have a ground ball to the second baseman. He tosses to the shortstop. There is an out at second. He throws a perfect strike to the first baseman. It's not a bad throw. He doesn't pull off the bag. It's right in his glove, and he drops it. Now I can assume an error on the first baseman for dropping that good throw. But, but, and the reason why I can't assume an error, because we know that guys get slid into at second base. And the, the throw from the second baseman or shortstop can be wild. And so because there was an out made, I'm not allowed to give an error. But if that first baseman drops that throw right in the glove, then uh, I, I can give him an error. Some of the rules changes and sliding has helped your job. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think so. Uh, Cause it, it's now really cut, cut and dried. I mean, if the guy slides, comes off the base, uh, he doesn't get the stolen base or he, uh, he, he doesn't get the double. If he goes in standing up, he, he does. So uh, there isn't any, any doubt. Someone can say, well, he held the bag for a little while or, he, you know, how to, you know, <laughs> what, what made him fall off. Uh, so I, I think it, it makes it simpler, I guess. Very interesting. Tim, um, something I'm familiar with because we implemented 2008 in the Olympics and that's the extra inning rule, man on yes. second base. Talk about how you're going to score that because we've got a lot of people out there using it. How are you going to score? Because you can't, you can't hurt the pitcher if the guy scores. Right. What's, what some people get really upset about, and I, I did have two games this year that went extra innings, put the runner on, on second base. Um, the pitcher who is on the mound at, at the time the inning starts, uh, that, that run is his, but it's an unearned run. It's not an earned run, but um, he can get the, get the loss. And what did he do? Okay. Uh, nothing. <laughs> I, I am the pitcher. There's a guy at second. I strike out two guys, right? There's two outs. But now I'm, and, and, and let's just say that I, that I pitched the inning before and I faced three guys. So don't, don't give me the three guy rule. Okay. So there's a left-handed batter up. They're going to bring a left-handed pitcher in. I, I leave the game. What have I done? Struck out two guys. Next guy up hits a home run. Guess who gets the loss? I, the first guy, (laughs) I'm the guy that was the, now that, that isn't fair, but you know what? There's a lot of things that aren't fair in scoring like the, and the ground ball in the hole with the runner going from second to third. I had no chance, no chance to get the guy. Here's, here's an, another one. I have a no hitter going. It's the ninth inning. There are two outs. Uh, there's a, uh, the runner at first who was walked is running towards second. The ball hits him. Does that batter get a base hit? The, the runner was going for first to second. Yep. And it hits him. And, and, uh, out, and the hitter gets a base hit. Yep. And he loses the no hitter. Yep. How'd you like that? I think that. Yeah. And, and what's weird is. He's thrown out of the game. Yeah. And what's strange is they the second baseman could have fielded that ball. Yep. It's right there. That's. And they, 
Clueless. Now, if you don't have any discretion in that. Nope. Unless the umpires look at it and say, wait a minute, this guy stopped and got hit on purpose. Then the player can change it and doesn't get the base hit because he's out for obstruction or excuse me, inter, in, interference. Right. So, uh, you can, you can call it that way, but otherwise you lose, you lose the no hitter. Oh, all of the second baseman. Would you just go crazy? Now I have, I have scored two no, no hitters and they, they were both with cup pitchers. Uh, when the Chicago Cubs played Houston Astros in Milwaukee because of the because of the hurricane in Houston, Zambrano pitches a no hitter against against Houston, and it's supposed to be Houston's home game. Houston was so ticked because they knew Milwaukee would fill up with Cub fans, and so they in protest. And no one caught this, but I I did. I told the reporters about it. The, the 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 Astros are wearing their away pants and their home shirts in protest. Ooh, and uh, and Zambrano throws the no hitter, and the next day Ted Lilly's pitching for the Cubs. I remember hitter into the seventh, and there was a a ground ball. Uh, past the uh, third baseman of the Cubs, and I. I, I called it an E3 and got a standing ovation. And, <laughs> but then, uh, then uh, the uh, Houston Astros, uh, Mark, Mark Loretta, who's the captain of the Astros, used to play for the Brewers, pinched in and got a, got a single. Otherwise, we would have had back-to-back no-hitters. That's the only hitter, hit that, that Houston got. And then I, I scored the recent Cub no-hitter no in, uh, in Milwaukee. And, you know, Interesting on the play, you know, with the no hitter and the ball hit the second base. Yeah. Um, if that happened in the big leagues, I, I would guess that's going to be changed. I mean, do you guys have discussions on that? Like, of course. Yeah, you have your meeting. Say, why would you call it that way? And the guy should deserves a no hitter. We know he could have possibly fielded that ball. Does, what what happened? How, maybe some but, but see, the the rule is written not for a no hitter. The rule is written for any time it happens. Mm. So, if, if you follow your logic, that means in the second inning, it would be okay. And yeah. if that's the only hit of the game, we got to go back and switch it. So it's, it's just a, a rule about when a batter runner is hit by a ground ball before it gets to the, uh, uh, to the, to the fielder, or if it hits the umpire before it gets to, to the fielder and, and so I don't think that that rule is, is ever going to going to be changed. Well, one of the greatest things that we did eight or nine years ago, up until that time, the only time I ever met an official score was if, if I, I would go to a different ballpark and go up in the press box and introduce myself to a, to the lowliest guy in the world. And it's not the Maytag repairman. It's, it's the official score because you were you were out there all by yourself. I mean, that's the way it was. And League yeah. Baseball decided it was a great move to bring one score from each city, and there are 30, 30 cities, to New York. And we have held that meeting now uh, eight, eight or nine years in a row. I, I don't think because of the COVID we're going to have it this year, but um, – all of the uh, we talk about plays, we talk about rules, we 
we look at all of the plays or many of them that were sent in during, during the year. We, we don't tell the scores how they were scored, but we run them through and then we have the, the scores right down. Was that a hit or an error? And why'd you think? And then we talk it through. And I, I think it's really helped consistency so that what is what is scored in White Sox Park is the same that's scored in Boston or it's it's scored in in uh, in Colorado or Tampa Bay or or whatever. And we do not want scores to be homers, but it is difficult because that's where you score all of the games and uh, you run into the same people and the same press and the same PR people. But uh, again, as we talked about young, young scores, you have to enough, have enough confidence in yourself. Uh, I've had guys get off the air and uh, come over and call me every name you can think of who get upset. And you know, that's, that's just part of it. And since we, we have the appeal process, uh, guys don't get up as upset as they used to because before there was the appeal, you were the head of the Supreme Court, pal, and, and they wanted you to change it and they would be screaming and hollering and, and they didn't mean to get out of control, but people have tempers and stuff happens. And the biggest thing is when you leave, you got, you got to know you did the right thing, but half the people are going to love you and half the people are going to call you uh, uh, horses, you know what, and so that that's just part of the job, and and uh, you you have to re- respect that that's that that's what it entails. First of all, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that meeting that you guys have. I think that'd be so interesting to sit in. But second of all, um, it's not like an umpire. You know, umpires, you're not allowed to. The press can't talk to them. Nobody can talk to them, and you're not allowed to approach them. You got a much, in my opinion, that's a lot tougher when you got people that can actually come and ask you all kinds of questions. But I do like what you said at the beginning of the show in the old days, you used to be, be able to go in the clubhouse because I think that's better to communicate with the players than it is to be. I, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. And sure. I, I had guys upset, but I got a chance to explain to them why I made that call. I had the opportunity, which now I don't have. And, and I also like to stand around the batting cage and talk to them. And once they find out you're a high school coach, it completely changes. And once the fact that they knew that I played college baseball, it completely changes. I'm not just somebody sitting up in an ivory tower. And I think I'm a much better scorer because I played the game and because I coached it. Yeah. And coaching it for 35 years like I did and coached over a thousand high school games, I think I really understand uh, the game better. I'm certainly not criticizing any of the scores who haven't uh, played or, or coached it. Here's something else too. We, we have become a lot closer to each other. There are scores, younger guys who call me continually about plays and stuff. And what, what do I think? And, and I, I call a lot of, a lot of scores. We, we're like kind of a, I guess, a old time fraternity, maybe in a way, because we all know what it's like to sit in that chair. And it, it is the greatest thrill of your life. It is, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't want to tell Major League Baseball, but I would, I would do it for free, but I don't want them to know that. But uh, it, it is just, uh, you know, in, 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 in my sports life, uh, 
it, it's just fantastic. The greatest thing in my life, besides my, my family and being married for my wonderful wife, Carol, for 50 years and our great uh, kids and our, and our, uh, grandkids is that I've been a teacher. I'm still teaching in my 51st year. There's nothing like teaching. There's nothing like closing that classroom door, baby. And it's me and them. And there, there is nothing in the world that compares to it, but sports, sports wise, the excitement, uh, again, I've, I told you I've scored over 2,550 games. I still get nervous before the game just as we're ready to go. And I, I have to start that stopwatch and announce uh, time of the first pitch, 7-10 or 1-10 or whatever it is. I I do because, baby, this is this is major league baseball. That's right. You know, I couldn't make it as a player, but I made it as a scorer. And, and I want to get it right. I, I want to do it right. I want to make it fair for both teams. And, again, I don't care if it's a visiting team or the home team that, that hits that, that ball. I want it called correctly no matter who it's going to help or who it's going to hurt. You know, if you talk to a lot of players, they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, Pete Rose said he was always nervous prior to a game. You know, it's just once he started going, now now yeah, he's then, then you're in the you're in the flow. Yeah, and everything you've accomplished, man, 51 years teaching, 50 years married, all this coaching. Um, you know, it's interesting because even during a regular season, it happened to me this year, um, and I think this is how everybody gets better. Um, I I watch a game. I'm not sure about the call. I'm thinking, wait a second, I, I know this call. I, this is what I would make. I'm fortunate to know Larry Young, Major League Supervisor. Oh, Larry, Larry, Larry comes to Miller Park, and I I get to have lunch with him or dinner with him quite often. Super nice guy. Oh, unbelievable! And then you know, just battle cancer. He's got five years. He's you know doing yep. well, doing everything. And this play comes up, and and I just run the play through. It was a Chicago Cubs play. Yeah, um, it was going from first to second. There's a ground ball to second. It hit the first baseman's glove, just barely touched it. Then it hit the runner. Um, and we know normally, and I'm just going to say it, and if I'm wrong, let me know. Normally, once it hits the first baseman, the ball's in play. Correct. It's a live ball. Right. But they called the runner out at second because it hit him. And the reason they called him out. Yeah, I want to hear this. That Larry, Larry called Larry called the announcers or the announcers called Larry because they know him or they texted him. Yeah. 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 Gave the interpretation. They said the reason they called it is because the second baseman still had a chance to make that play. How's that scored? Boy. And again, I didn't, I didn't see the, yeah, you got to see the play, but what the, what the rule says, if a ground ball, uh, can be played now. Here's the only thing that I that I would also look at: was it a ground ball that the first baseman really couldn't play? In other words, he it just ticked off his his glove. Yeah, close to that, yeah. Really make a play on it. Then, uh, then, then, then it hits the runner. To me, I think they they interpreted that to say that in. In reality, the first baseman really could not have made a play on that on that ball. Right. And so it's still, it's still in play. Yeah, yeah. That's what 
probably did. Yeah, and that makes sense. That would but, make sense. Oh boy, that Larry is such a good, good guy, and uh, I I love talk talking with him. And one of the things he tells he tells me as uh, uh, Bruce Bruce Fremming also comes into our to our place a lot, and I I've got to be real close with him. He said that when we we get the rule book, you know, the first thing we do, Tim, we we grab rule nine and tear it out. That's that's scoring rules. He goes, you think umpires care about scoring rules? They don't care about scoring rules. Rip that out of there. We could give them a hoot tiny about it. <laughs> and, they don't, and they really don't have to worry about the scoring. They have to yeah. go by the regular rules, right? That yeah. We, we have to figure out why. See, and what I think the average fan doesn't realize, when a runner goes from first to second to third and home, we have to explain how he advanced to each of those bases. How did he get to second? How did he get to third? How did he get home? And um, that's that's why I've been very lucky in the fact you could look down, okay? Let's say, because one of the things that I have to have uh, – and edit up right after the game is over is all the totals put outs and assists. So sometimes I'm flipping it back and forth to make, make sure everything's right. And all of a sudden you look up and the guy at first is now at second. Well, that has never happened to me, but the only way he could have got there must've been a balk, but you, but you, you have to always be watching Always be looking. And what what you do as a scorer, you get the pattern of the of the pitcher and how long he takes. And uh, you kind of know that this is when he's going to throw it. And uh, some of these guys, I still call them human rain delays. Jesse Orozco, remember him, the left-handed reliever, pitched for 75 teams. He was the human rain delay. He'd come in, wipe the ball down, get on around, come on! Throw the ball, would you? Come on, he's driving you nuts. I mean, uh, and especially late in the game, the the, the games should not take as long as they are, they're going. And uh, Major League Baseball, the average the average age of a Major League Baseball fan, I believe, is sixty four. Right. And w- what does that tell you? That the millennials are not going to sit for three and a half hours watching a game that's three to two now. I love the game because I'm watching how the second baseman's talking to the shortstop, how they move, running, you know, all that kind of thing. But they have to move the game along. And part of it is they have to get the batters to stay in the batter's box. This keep on putting the batting gloves back on and retake. Give me a break. Uh, get in the batter's box and they have to stop allowing that. And also the, the pitchers throw the ball. What are you waiting for? Cause what, what I always got my, my high school kids to do, because I believed it myself as a pitcher, when I get the ball back, I'm throwing it. Let's go. Cause I want my infielders on their toes. I don't want them leaning back on their, on their heels. Speed up the game, speed right. it up. And I, right. That doesn't take away from the history of the game. I don't want a bunch of old timers calling me up. You don't appreciate. I love the game more than anybody does, but the times are changing and millennials are not going to sit there for three and a half hours. They aren't like uh, you and I, they're not going to do it. And and we talked about this on the show, I believe yesterday, day before, you know, I've been watching the three batter rule. um, And the reason they did the three batter rule was to speed up the game, but why? 
But why change the strategy of the game to speed up? Yeah, the game? I thought that that was I. That that's one of the changes that I didn't like at at all. Yesterday, the, the Dodgers used ran, bring them in. Yesterday, Dodgers used four pitchers in four innings. Yep. Yep. Pitching changes in four innings. Yeah. So that's going to slow down the game too. Well, of course. But this, this I, I don't like the three batter rule. I'm not in favor of it. Say, let me ask you. Um, you've been great, man. You've been on longer than we should. And um, I'm, not only I'm sorry, should, I tend to talk too much. No, but no, no. That, that's great for the audience because you've got you've mixed in things like you know about the rules, official scoring, all that. But you also mixed in some coaching things, which I thought are great. Um, but as far as uh, rule, the rules or the official scoring, is there anything you'd like to see changed in the future when it comes to official scoring or are things pretty smooth? I think things are pretty, pretty good. I, I think it's amazing when you think of when the rules were written that they seem to have covered everything. I mean, holy cow. And, you know, little, little things get changed. Uh, just because I am a pitcher, I would like to be able to give an out to an infielder who should have caught that, that pop-up. That's my only grudge. And so, some of the scorers go, well, I, I don't know who, who to give the air to. Uh, send me the tape. I'll tell you who to give the air to. There's one guy yelling, I got it, I got it. Well, that's the guy who should get that. But I, I think that the rules are very, very good. Are they always fair? No, but nothing is. Uh, uh, the, the rules themselves have been phenomenal. Uh, I, I, I think it's a very, very fair, fair game. And I, I'm just proud to say that I, I've been able to be a part of uh, making, making decisions on guys' batting averages and earn runs. And, and because, you know, uh, I think there should be integrity in, in the game. And I, I be, believe very, very strongly if, if it's a star hit, hitting a ground ball or, or it's a guy making a cup of coffee, we should call that a base hit or, or an error based on what it, what it should be. And uh, I, I have the honor, the, the pleasure to be a scorer in Major League Baseball. Are you kidding me? Major League Baseball for 34 years? Uh, I'm just uh, thrilled uh, even to think about it. Yeah, and it's not just – getting the chance being in there that long because uh you know if things didn't go right they could also they can get rid of guys real quick oh um, yeah what would you say to you know look i know for a fact it, it would take me 10 years just to be ready for to be in a no, no. at any level but but if i was to train anybody that wanted to get into it that was already maybe doing it a little bit to get better what can they do every day other than read the rules anything else that they can really make themselves better at well one of the things that's really uh helped helped us is uh uh Stu Thornley who's the score and one of the scores in in Minnesota has put a case book to together and the the case book goes through a lot of different situations and uh if if a score would write to Major League Baseball, I'll, I'll bet they could probably get a, a copy of that. And it, it just goes through like some of the things I talked about: sliding, standing up. Uh, when when do you oh when do you give a guy a sacrifice? And when when don't when don't don't you? Was he trying to really sacrifice the runners or wasn't he? Um, and you know, even though you're right, bunt, bunting is kind of dying. Um, those kind of things. And I'd say watch as many games as they possibly can. One of the 
great things of being a scorer. Laurel Preeb, who's our boss with Major League Baseball, has put together every play that been has been appealed this year. And we go to our uh, webpage and we can look at every one of those plays and we can study them and look at them and, and try, try to decide based on what they have decided what we should do when this play happens. And again, no play is exactly the same. And, you know, and again, I see things after 2,550 games that I've never seen before. That's how crazy baseball is. And uh, just try to get experiences in seeing as many games as you possibly can. And uh, know that r- rule book very, very well. Uh, but don't don't be a robot either about it. I mean, you, you have to have give and, give and take, and again, it's, I know you're tired of me saying this, but it's gray, baby. It's not black and white. It's very, very gray. You know, and that brings up the point of, you know, just like you're a baseball coach, you know, you got to practice the real thing. So you got to watch the real things happen. So the more you yes. see them, the better. Now, the goal was to get into coaching also, but I've kept you in a long time. So we're going to bring you back for that one because there's a <laughs> lot to talk about there. Um, but, but for, as a prelude to that, I think it'd be interesting. Um, you've seen the game as a coach for all these years, not only at the high school, but you've seen the youth level, the professional level, things that some things that you feel we need to change because we may be heading in the wrong direction when it comes to developing young players. Oh, baby, you, uh, you just said that to me. And it's the whole show, but I want to give a little prelude and let's talk a little bit about that. Kids should be playing a variety of sports. This idea of telling somebody at eight years old, nine years old, you're a baseball player only, it drives me absolutely, absolutely crazy. I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> compete in other sports. I, I coached football and basketball at the high school also, uh, not, not as long as, as baseball, but kids need to compete. John Schmoltz, who's become a pretty good buddy, not, we're not close friends, but when he comes in to do a game, he and I sit down and one of the things we talk about is uh, parents believing this showcase BS, and I'm sorry, I'm biased. This idea that we're going to be at the showcase, you're going to get a scholarship, and these guys are charging nine or ten thousand dollars to these kids, and what are, what are they tell them? You got the best hands, the best feet. Then they come out for the high school team, and we cut them because they aren't very talented. And did you like to cut anybody? Certainly, you don't. You just die with it because you know how important it is. Kids need to compete at a lot of a lot of different levels in a lot of different sports. Uh, also, this this myth about a baseball scholarship. You don't get a full ride at any major university. Baseball teams don't get enough scholarships, so they break them up into a third, or if you're lucky, a half or a fifth. For heaven's sakes, the money you're you're paying for some of this showcase, you could you could send your kid to college twelve times. But what is it? It's the ego of the dad or the mom that want to walk around and say, you know, my son got the scholarship uh, to so-and-so. Well, I, I've had kids get, get scholarships, and it's tremendous. But kids got looked at. Uh, if, if you're a good player, you're going to get looked at. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't try to play against better competition. 
But this this idea of only playing one sport, it absolutely drives me nuts. Nobody owns these kids. They showcase coaches. You don't own those kids. Those are kids that want to play sports. They want to compete. And a kid that competes in football or hockey or soccer or lacrosse or volleyball or whatever can be a better baseball player because they played other sports. Let kids be competitive. Let them, let them learn. And let's, let's be a, um, a player on a team. Kids that we get who, who've only been on the, in these showcases have no comprehension of team, team, you, uh, team t- togetherness at all. Plus, they don't know the fundamentals. Why? Are, are you going to charge your, your, your son 10000 bucks, and I'm going to ask him to bunt? What do you think you're going to tell me after the game, Pete? If I ask you your kid to bunt and you're charged, I'm charging you ten grand. That kid's not bunting, and it it it's all I I I, and it it's driving me crazy. And we have to work really hard to get the team back. And it's it's the team that's important. That's what you're playing for. You're playing for your high school, and uh, th- those are memories that you'll you'll never for forget and you you hold dearly and i was just fortunate enough to be the varsity coach for 35 years at the same school that i went to and played for and uh it, it it's just great there's nothing bad wow and you know i love the part that you said about multi-sport athletes because yeah we've got a lot of young kids playing you know, at eight, nine, 10 years old on travel teams. And, you know, and that's great if you're on a travel team, maybe it's a little bit better. I don't know, but yeah, they are, but at least, you know, you know, what I'm concerned about and what I see by traveling around the world is a lot of the real good baseball countries. And we're one of them. I get it. Sure. 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 A lot of them. Matter of fact, the majority of them play practice more than they play. And that's my concern is that the young kids aren't practicing enough. You hit the key word fundamentals. We don't see that enough at the young levels. And sometimes they say, well, we're going to do it in the winter. Yeah, but remember, the winter doesn't carry into the summer all the time. And they need to practice all the time. Well, and and I, I, I think it's also important for pitchers. Let me throw this in. I don't know if you've read the book called The Pitch. And it's uh, written about the Tommy John surgery in, in, uh, in Japan, where seven or nine and 12-year-olds are getting Tommy John surgery. Pitchers need to, John Schmoltz and I talked about this a lot. You need to totally shut your arm down for right around three months, two to two to three months where you don't throw. Why? Because those tendons are like, I don't know if you ever see those real thick, uh, uh, that, that you, you get with uh, with your mail. They they wrap it around the mail. You know those those large rubber rubber. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what tendons are are, are like in in your el- elbow. And if, if you start making slight cuts in those rubber bands, notice how they pull away and pull away. You mm-hmm. need to rest so those tendons come back together and bind uh, uh, again. And we have we have kids who are throwing winter bullpens off of mounds inside all winter long. They need to shut down minimum two months. Don't throw. They, they play other sports, Pete. Play basketball. 
play, you know, other, other things and kids need to shut, shut down. And you're right about practice. Some of these guys, all they do is they have games and they play games every night and they never practice. You got to practice, pal. You got to practice again and again and again. And I always broke the game down into drills and we ran drills with our infielders and our outfielders and pitchers and stuff. Drills that made them better in that position. And drills are crucial. They're crucial in making kids better. Absolutely. Tim, this has been great. And folks, you know, for your travel teams out there, if you follow them, you know that the ones that practice a lot are the ones that have a better trend and better exactly. players. And long-term also, and you're going to reduce some injuries. But I think that's important too. Tim, listen, I know... This is going to be a whole show, so I'm going to have you back. Um, (laughs) You know, you've been great, man. We've gone an hour and a half. Normally we go an hour. uh, So, and that's, and that's a a testament to your, you know, what you've done in your career because you brought a lot of knowledge here to our coaches, players, and fans all over the U S and the world. We, you know, again, our our, our show is worldwide. So again, can't thank you enough for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. I, I really had a good good time, and I can't believe it. Uh, I was on this long. I didn't realize it. <laughs> Once I get started, yeah, I, but I, I'm so passionate about the game, and uh, thanks, Pete, for the opportunity to be on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim O'Driscoll. Thank you to Brian Clark, our producer with the Lineup Media Group. Thank you, everybody. Don't forget, go to subscribe on YouTube, Peter Caliendo, on, on your own Facebook do us a favor, just go to YouTube, hit subscribe. Go to Peter Caliendo, hit the subscribe button. That really helps us out. Special thanks to everybody in the U.S. and around the world. Everybody stay safe. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm.